Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You would please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Ephesians in chapter number 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that one and turn to page 153 in the back part, and you would find yourself right at Ephesians 5. Now, we have been involved in a series of messages this fall that we have entitled Amazing Grace. And if you were with us at the beginning, you will recall as we started this series, I shared a little story about my personal introduction into grace. But that involved the fact that when I was in the middle of my junior year of high school, I reluctantly had to go with my family and move from the city of Kansas City where I was involved in high school. I didn't want to go. And when it came time to going to college and I enrolled at the University of Nebraska, I did that in part because it was close to the city of Kansas City. And then you would remember that this man showed up in my dorm room named Dean Hatfield, and he wanted to invite me to a Bible conference. And I shared that to me at that point, the Bible was the most boring book in the world. I didn't want to go to a Bible conference, but he said to me, it's in Kansas City. Any other place I would have never gone, but I decided to go. I thought, I can go. I can ditch the Bible study, the Bible conference. I will hang out with my friends. But as I showed up there at Beth Haven Church with Chester McCauley teaching, he was teaching that weekend on the grace of God. And I was totally mesmerized. That was 40-plus years ago. I was going through my files this week, and... I actually found the notes that I took on February the 7th, 1970, Uh, four pages on uh, legal-sized yellow paper, Uh, everything that I heard that weekend. And if you're interested, you can look at these uh, after the service just to see what it looks like when a 19-year-old is taking notes, hearing about the grace of God for the very first time in his life. And so... He shared with us, as part of that time, some practical principles about grace. And since I first heard them, I wrote them in my Bible, and those principles have helped me over the last 40 years. As we've been doing this series on Amazing Grace, we have been saying that God's grace is all over the place. It's all over the place in Scripture. It's all over the place in life. And last time we were together... We were looking at Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, where it talks about we need to be careful how we walk, how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the opportunity that we have because the days are evil. We're not to be foolish, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. And the will of the Lord is that we live strategically. Remember, this world is out of alignment. This world is warped. It is not morally neutral, and we are to live wisely. And we saw the last time we were in our study, we looked at a number of the Proverbs, which we said were nuggets of God's amazing grace. And so we are called to live wisely, to heed wisdom, to make it a priority every moment of our life, to ask ourselves the question, as we live our life, what is the wise thing to do? 
Now, there's a very interesting statement that occurs by Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 14. He says this statement of us, you are not under law, but under grace. What does that really mean? You're not under law, but you're under grace. How do we determine what the wise thing is to do? Or do we just do as we please as we live our life? Well, the message is going to help us with that today that we have before us, and I've entitled today's message, Practical Principles of Amazing Grace. And our plan today is to do really three things. Number one, we're going to just take a brief look at the grace era. You realize we live in the grace era. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at some double ditches. There's two common ditches that we tend to fall into as we're walking our way through the Christian life. We're going to look at those. And then the third thing we're going to look at in more detail are these practical principles of amazing grace. So that's our plan. So let's begin by just talking about briefly the grace era. Somebody has calculated that the Old Testament law involves 613 laws, 365 of them negative laws, in other words, don't do this, and 248 of them positive laws, these are the things that we are to do. That was the Old Testament moral law. But Paul tells us we're not under law, we're under grace. But that does not mean, since we're under grace, that we are without divine guidelines. There are specific directives under grace. We won't take time to look at it, but for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 3 to 5, we have some very clear delineation by God Himself about how He views sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship. It's not just do as we please. He gives us, under grace, some specific directives. We have a number of positive commands. We have a number of negative commands under grace. Just just to remind you of that, for example, a positive command, we are to forgive one another, as it says in Colossians 3.13. We are to serve one another, as it says in 1 Peter 4.10 and 11. We are under grace not to lie, not to steal, as it says in Colossians 3.9 and Ephesians 4.28. Under grace, we are not to get drunk, as it says in Ephesians 5.18. We're not under law, but under grace, but even under grace, there are specific directives from God. But here's what's really interesting. Even though under grace we have a number of specific directives, there is a plethora of unaddressed issues in Scripture. And I have to live my life, and you have to live your life, and we're to do that with wisdom, but there's all these unaddressed issues. You see, in the Bible, there's no mention of television, movies, videos, the internet, There are no directives in Scripture in the New Testament regarding dating, which was, by the way, unheard of in the New Testament culture. There's no directives about tattoos. There's no directives about piercings. The word cigarette does not even appear in Scripture. Should we or should we not use or have a cell phone? Should we or should we not have cable television or satellite television? 
Are we to text or not to text? Are we to tweet or not to tweet? You see, these things are not directly addressed in Scripture. Are we to have any involvement with alcohol or drugs? Those things are not directly addressed in Scripture. Where should we send our kids to school? If you're parents, do you send your kids to public school, a Christian school? Do you homeschool them? You can't turn to a passage that tells you what to do. How about the whole area of dancing? I mean, should we or should we not get in a line and do country line dancing or the Macarena or the polka? I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about these things. What kind of direct eating habits are we to have? What kind of direct exercise habits are we to have? You see, the Bible doesn't give in the New Testament specific directives about those things. And yet, we are to heed wisdom. We are to live wisely. We are to answer the question, what's the wise thing to do? Now, that is the grace era. The second thing I want to introduce ourselves to are what I call the double ditches. You know, the Christian life, in my mind, is this path that we walk down. And as we walk down that path, we are to operate by grace. But here's what is interesting. On either side of that path are two ditches. And we have this tendency to fall into or to jump into one ditch or the other as we are seeking to heed wisdom and walk wisely in the era of grace. Let me just give you these two ditches. Let's look at the first one. The first ditch is the ditch I like to call of license. In other words, we don't have a lot of specific directives about a lot of things we have to use wisdom on in life. Some people find themselves in the ditch of license. In other words, those who are in the ditch of license say, I am free to do as I please. If it's not directly addressed in Scripture, I am free to do it. The problem is that when someone is in the ditch of license, they have a tendency to undersell the flesh. This flesh that wants to drag us into sin. And what ultimately happens is those who live in the ditch of license, the result is that they tend to live like the world. And that's why we have a caution given to us about this ditch in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.16 says, don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. You don't undersell the flesh here. And Galatians 5.13 says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So as we're to walk this path of wisdom, there's these two ditches that we tend to get into. The first one is the ditch of license. Because it's not directly addressed, that's where I live. The second ditch is what I like to call the ditch of legalism. Because we do not have everything clearly delineated for us, specifically in the grace era, we decide that what we will do is we will fabricate our own rules list. We will come up with a list of what is right and what is wrong. And what is interesting about those who are in the legalism ditch is that their list tends to be very heavily tilted towards the negative. In other words, spiritual people 
don't do this, they don't do that, they don't do this, they don't do this. That's what a legalist tends to do, someone who's in that ditch. And someone who's in the ditch of legalism tends to overemphasize external conduct. It's about what's going on on the outside. Rather than the heart, it's what I display to other people, the things I do, the things that I don't do. And the result of those who are walking through and residing in the ditch of legalism is they become judgmental and they become prideful. See, I'm spiritual. You're not because you don't follow the list, the list that I came up with. And we have a caution about this um, from Scripture in Romans 14.4. It says, who are you to judge the servant of another? And it's talking about this whole idea of these undesignated subject matters. And the idea of becoming prideful is, I have the list, you don't keep the list, you're out of line, you're unspiritual. And he says, who are you to judge the servant of another? That's that's God's business to figure that out with the individual. And then, a verse that I think is very important in the New Testament is it talks about these areas of liberty and undesignated issues. Romans 14.5 says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. I gave you a list of all kinds of things that are not directly addressed. And what what the Bible teaches us, and by the way, this is very strongly emphatic in the original language. The the phrase each one and, and the word own mind are very emphatic. What it means is, is we come upon these various things that the Bible doesn't directly address. Each one of us, you and you and me, or to become fully convinced in our own mind, is that something that I do or something that I don't do? Each one of us is to become fully convinced in our own mind. We're to develop our own conviction. Here's what's interesting about getting your conviction going, though, is that once we have a conviction, guess what? We have this tendency to want to say, well, my conviction ought to be your conviction. And so I'm going to export my conviction list to you and demand that you conform to mine. And that's not right because each one has become fully convinced in our own mind. Now, here's what's interesting about each one of us here today. No matter who you are in your Christian life, whether it's brand new to you or something that's old, we have a tendency to jump into one ditch or the other. You're going to have a life tendency to go into one ditch or the other. Now, some people will go into this ditch, and then sometimes they'll flip-flop. But for most of us, we tend to veer into one ditch or the other. So we've looked at this era of grace. We've talked about the double ditches. What I'm very anxious to get to now are the practical principles of amazing grace. In other words, we're to heed wisdom. It is to be our priority every moment, but how do you measure what is wise? And again, I want want you to know that the principles I'm sharing with you today have been in the back of my Bible since 1970. And I've used these principles to apply to unaddressed issues, to navigate the whole arena of 
Christian liberty under grace, the areas where Scripture does not directly address. And I want you to know these principles we're going to look at this morning, uh, these grace principles, transcend eras of time, and they transcend cultures. And you'll notice that in your, in your bulletin you got today, you got a little yellow handout. This is because I wanted you to have this in very um, transferable form, something you might keep tucked in your Bible or write somewhere in your Bible. So you can follow along in that little outline that we have there. We want to look at the practical principles of amazing grace. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. It's a little bit to the left of where we were earlier in Ephesians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The first principle of grace is the principle of mastery. The principle of mastery. It comes from chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. This first principle of amazing grace asks the question, notice your little hand out there, does it tend to control me? Does it tend to control me? Does this thing, I'm trying to decide whether I should participate with it or not, does it bring me into bondage? Is it addictive to me? Does it tend to control my life? Does it tend to rule my life? For example, do you require having a drink of alcohol in order to relax? Do you buy things just so that you will feel better on the inside? Do you smoke something or have to snort something in order to calm your spirit, in order to cope with life? See, that could be a violation of this principle of grace. All kinds of things fit into this principle. And we need to wrestle through with video games, social media, television, sports, prescription painkillers. By the way, pornography, one of the most addictive things of all. Why the Bible might not directly address it, we need to apply this principle. Does it tend to control me? Now, I, again, I, I just, I'm trying to illustrate these things. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you convinced with the convictions that I have, but I just want to illustrate it so you understand what I'm talking about. You know, the Bible is very clear. It tells us that we are not to get drunk, Ephesians 5.18. The Bible does not say that we're not to drink wine which, by the way, is very, very common in the New Testament era. So, so each one of us to become fully convinced in our own mind, we each have to wrestle with this question. Is it right or wrong for me to participate with alcohol? We have to wrestle through that. And, 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 and that, you know, it's, it's, people need to do this. You know, there are many, many people in bondage to alcohol. Do you know that there are 17.6 million alcoholics in our culture? You know that there are 2.2 million binge drinkers from the age of 12 to the age of 17. And so we need to take this principle and we need to wrestle with that and become fully convinced in our own 
mind. Let each one become fully convinced in their own mind. Second principle of amazing grace is the principle of love. We see it in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians in verses 9 and 13. Chapter 8 and verse 9. But take care lest this liberty of yours, because we're under grace, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 13. Therefore, if food, eating certain kinds of food in the whole context of what's going on in 1 Corinthians, causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, this principle asks the question, if I do this, will it hurt others? Will it hurt others? Now, I think it's very important to look at at this and understand what he's saying and not saying. He's not saying, if someone doesn't approve of it, don't do it. Because if that was true, we would all be paralyzed, right? Because there's always someone who doesn't approve of something. But the idea here is that I might be doing something that would, this is pretty serious language, become, verse 9, a stumbling block to somebody else. It causes them to take a spiritual fall. It causes them, as it says in verse um, 13, to stumble. I think the NIV says to fall into sin. And we need to always remember as we live in the era of grace that there are other people watching us, and that's especially true of children. And you see, the Bible may allow me the freedom, grace may allow me the freedom to listen to certain things or to watch certain things or to go to certain things or to do certain things. But if it has the potential to influence another person, someone who is watching, to take a spiritual tumble in their life, what this is saying is it is wiser to decline. The wise thing to do is to decline. And and I'm just going to share with you, again, I'm not pushing my conviction onto anybody, all right? I just want you to understand the way I've processed this. This principle has had a huge influence on me when it comes to wrestling with the question of alcohol. It just has. I know that alcohol tends to be harmful to people. It's a factor in 83% of all fire deaths, 70% of all drownings, 70% of sexual assaults. It's a factor in 65% of homicides, 40% of all crime, 30% of traffic deaths that occur Monday through Friday, 51% of traffic deaths that occur on the weekend. You know, during the course of this service, uh, three people are killed due to an alcohol-related accident. And uh, I know there's many of you here who could share some stories of how alcohol has caused serious problems. One-third of the families in the United States have been adversely affected by it. So I just want you to know, as I was wrestling through all these issues with me, this principle had a huge influence in some of the conclusions that I have drawn. But let each one be fully convinced in their own mind. You have to develop a conviction. I have to develop a conviction. And if we develop a conviction, we're not to be exporting that, imposing that conviction on others as the spiritual standard. There is a third practical principle of amazing grace we want to look at. 
hopefully you're realizing the potential of these to help us not only to walk wisely in the Christian life, but to stay out of the ditches that are there. The third principle is the principle of testimony. It's the principle of testimony. We see it from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12. Verse 12 says, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right. You see, he said, basically, we had the opportunity and the freedom to do something, but we chose not to do it, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. The principle of amazing grace, the practical principle of testimony, asks the question, will it hinder the gospel? If I do this, will this hinder the gospel? Will it tend to draw people to Christ in my life, or will it tend to repel people from Christ. And men and women, we need to realize that it's just so true. We have people watching us. The neighbors are watching. Your co-workers are watching. Your fellow students are watching. The world is watching. And Is what they see in our life tending to draw them to Christ or to repel them from Christ? How do we respond when we're aggravated in traffic? How do we respond when we're lodging a complaint with someone? I tell you, that last one is a huge struggle for me because I'm a values-driven person. When something happens, it's not right. It's not fair. I have this attitude that I have a right I have the freedom to be frustrated, and it's justified. I know how my mind works. Not too long ago, I walked into the the, uh, cable TV company with a complaint. And I'm telling you, my complaint was justified. There was reasons for my complaint. And I can remember coming in there into this office which is an amazingly interesting thing because it's sort of an open area. We have all these stations where they're relating to people. And I had shared with them some emotion in my exasperation. And as I'm doing this, I hadn't even told anybody who I was yet. The person there turned to me and said, I can understand why you're frustrated, Bruce. And I'm like, what? You know who I am? Yeah, I know you're the pastor over at Wildwood Community Church. Whoa. Will it hinder the gospel? If you are single, how do you relate to members of the opposite sex? Is it in a way that will draw them to Christ or tend to repel them from Christ? There's a fourth principle of amazing grace we want to look at, and that is the principle of, number four, edification, edification. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. Chapter 10, verse 23, it says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. And of course, the word edification, edify means to build up. This principle asks the question, does it benefit? Does it benefit in some way? 
I think the NIV says in this verse, not everything is constructive, not everything is helpful, not everything is beneficial. What's really interesting to me is that that some people who go into the legalism ditch, they take this position, if it's fun, it's wrong. (laughs) I mean, toss all dancing, all games, all TV, all movies, all sports, because if it's fun, it's wrong. But you know, fun things can be beneficial. Having some fun can refresh your spirit. It can give you a break. It can help you to recharge from life, and life can be heavy. It helps us to re-energize. But we need to ask the question, does it benefit in some way? I remember when I did my pastoral internship in Sterling, Kansas, while I was in graduate school, and uh, I, I noticed something. I was in charge of the youth group, and I noticed this interaction that went on between them. It was the verbally the way they were talking to one another. One of my major goals that whole summer was to, to bring this principle out. Is it really beneficial to talk to one another like that? A fifth principle uh, of amazing grace is the principle of example. The principle of example. We see this from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 where Paul says, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. And this principle asks the question, is it worth imitating? Is it worth imitating? Now, I I know you don't normally think this way, but every one of us, I don't care how old you are, there are eyes watching your life. Even if you are young, there's someone younger than you watching you. And we need to ask this question as we try to deal with these unaddressed areas, is it worth imitating? Is it something that Jesus would do? Is it something that Jesus would say? 1 John 2.6 says, the one who says he abides in him, that is in Jesus, ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. I mean, if we're claiming his name, we ought to do and say things the way that he would do things. So when we are asking ourselves the question, what's the wise thing to do, we need to ask the question, is it worth imitating? And then, lastly, the sixth principle, practical principle of amazing grace is the principle of honor, the principle of honor. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where it says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this principle Ask the question, will it glorify God? Will it reflect back positively on Jesus? Will it make God look good? So there you have. We have the six amazing practical principles of grace. The principle of mastery, does it tend to control me? The principle of love, will it hurt others? The principle of testimony, will it hinder the gospel? The principle of edification, does it benefit? The principle of example, is it worth imitating? The principle of honor, will it glorify God? Now, you need to remember these principles are universal and they'll go across cultures. You see, situations vary from culture to culture. Situations vary related to alcohol from culture to culture. Things are different in France and Germany than they are in the United States of America. A believer one place might make a different conclusion than a believer someplace else. We are different individuals. We will make 
different conclusions. Each one has to become fully convinced in his own mind. It's very vital in this process that we allow room for different convictions. Did you hear what I just said? We need to allow room for different convictions. It's okay with God. But it is difficult, trust me, to become fully convinced in your own mind and not start judging other people. Remember, who are you to judge the servant of another? Another vital thing is we need to guard against rationalization because this is what we have this tendency to do. Remember what it says in 1 Peter 2.16, don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Now, as we close today, I want us to, to basically close with two questions for reflection. All right, I want you to write these down. These are important. First question for reflection is this. Is my tendency more towards license or legalism? It's good to know what your tendency is. When you drift off the path, which ditch do you typically head for? And then the second question for reflection, do I employ grace principles when evaluating issues not directly addressed in Scripture? And you might say, well, no, I haven't because I never knew them before. Well, you've got them now. And we all ought to take these principles and apply them. Now, we don't have time because of the way our morning went to, to close in a song, but I want, I want to close us in prayer right now. So pray with me. Father, we just thank you again for just the, the, the whole refreshing scene of grace for your amazing grace towards us. And Father, we would pray that you would continue to cultivate us individually and as a corporate body so that an atmosphere of grace would exist at Wildwood, that people would sense it. And we would pray, Father, that we would be very aware of what our tendencies are. We pray that we would continually be applying these grace principles because ultimately, as it says in the final one, We want to honor Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace towards us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.